Hey guys, what's up? It's Casey Jusclair here with the LaFouche Gazette. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I'm going to be starting my own podcast. So we are going to test it out. It'll be a test run. I'm actually literally live doing this from my front porch. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of different things here. Um, we're going to talk about COVID-19. We're going to talk about the response to COVID-19. We're going to um, answer some questions that you guys have about COVID-19. But I promise it won't be all coronavirus. We're going to talk about some other things. We're going to talk about some things going on in the world of sports. And you guys know I'm a big sports fan. Talk about some things um, that I'm doing to, to stay sane during the pandemic. And it's going, to, it's going to be a regular little podcast. We're going to have fun. We're going to uh, talk about different things. And, and we're going to enjoy ourselves. And we're going to pass a good time. Um, so I just want to let you guys know that for the next 10 or so minutes, 5 to 10 minutes at the very least, I'm going to be talking about COVID-19. If that is something that does not interest you, then just go ahead and fast forward through. You're not hurting my feelings at all. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the pandemic and lead with the pandemic. So let's fire away. Um, today we have 29,140 cases reported in the state of Louisiana. Um, that is up uh, you know, 400 or so cases today from yesterday. We have 666 cases of COVID-19 in Lafouche Parish and 52 Lafouche Parish deaths. Um, we have 1,950 deaths reported in the state of Louisiana. Um, the cases are going to continue to rise. Why are the cases going to continue to rise? Because they're going to continue to do more and more tests. Um, there have been 170 plus thousand tests done in the last 50 or so days. Um, but you remember the governor says that he wants to test 200,000 people in the next month. So that would be more tests in the next month than what we've done in the previous 50 days. And obviously the more people you test, the more cases you're going to have. So we're going to see that number continue to go up and up and up. Uh, but one thing to remember, 17,000 people, and this was a number reported on April the 26th. So that number is actually probably far higher. But on April the 26th, we had 17,303 17, people who had recovered from COVID-19. Um, that number is probably closer to 20,000 now. And another positive thing to look at is that 1,545 patients are hospitalized with COVID-19. And I know you're saying, well, Casey, why is that a positive thing? Um, well, because at one time that number was 2,100 plus. And at one time that number was growing and growing and growing. And it was looking like our system was going to be overtopped. But that's not the case. 208 patients are on ventilators in the state of Louisiana. That number at one time was in the 570 range. Um, so we've got plenty of ventilators to go around. We've got plenty of hospital beds to go around. We're going to be okay. Um, let's see. If you break down the numbers, I'm going to pull up Region 3 numbers. Region 3, of course, being our region. Let's see. In Region 3 for Louisiana, we have 21 ventilators that are being used. 103 that are available and of course i'm going to tell you every parish that belongs in region three right now uh let's see we've got lafouche terrebonne uh saint charles saint john the baptist saint james assumption and saint mary that's all the parishes in region three so out of all of those parishes it's five six parishes only 21 people are on ventilators and there are more than 100 103 to be exact available in Region 3, there are 43 ICU beds that are being used, and 55 are available. That's great progress, because at one time, that number was in the 20s. And whenever I say that, that, that number not very long ago was in the 20s. So they have made a lot of uh, headway in clearing up ICU beds, which is a great sign that fewer and fewer people are sick. Um, 
one thing to note is that of that 43, um, that's not all COVID patients. So when I tell you 43 people are in the ICU, uh, someone may have had a heart attack yesterday. And if they're in the ICU because of their heart attack, they're going to be counting that number. That's not 43 COVID patients that are in the ICU. That's just 43 people total that are in the ICU. So that's one thing worth noting. Uh, hospital beds in Region 3, we have 376 hospital beds available. Or excuse me, 376 hospital beds in use, my apologies. 330, 338 hospital beds available. So let me go through that again. I know I stuttered a little bit. 376 hospital beds are being used in Region 3. 338 hospital beds are available in Region 3. So again, that number has been about consistent. And again, that number is... Um, uh, amongst all patients. If you go into the hospital because your appendix burst, or if you go into the hospital because you had to get your tonsils taken out, whatever it may be, and you were hospitalized overnight, you're going to count in those statistics. So, you know, we've got 338 hospital rooms available. Our hospital system's not getting overtopped. And really, you look up and down the state, all nine regions have plenty of beds available. All nine regions have pl plenty of ICU beds available. And all nine regions have an overwhelming, in fact, look at this, this is a great stat. In the New Orleans region, which was so hard hit, they have 171 ventilators that are being used. They've got 482 ventilators that are available. So that just goes to show uh, that we're staying out in front of this and we're doing an excellent job, you know, flattening that curve, as they say. Uh, when you look at some of the things that have been happening over the last couple of days, um, some of the areas that have been pinpointed as you know, kind of troubled areas, the Monroe area has been kind of hit hard. They have 755 total cases in Washington Parish, 22 deaths. East Baton Rouge Parish, their cases have grown. They now have more than 2,000 cases, 148 deaths. So we're going to be keeping an eye on those two areas and hopefully they will be able to stem that tide because uh, that was one of the reasons why we couldn't start phase one of the recovery on May the 1st. So I'm going to go ahead and talk some COVID um, and, and get some questions from you guys about COVID and then we'll talk a little bit of sports a little bit later in the show. Uh, let's see, I have a question from a reader here saying, uh, do you think we were ready to start phase one of the re uh, reopening plan on May the 1st? <laughs> That's a little bit of a trap question um, because as a reporter, you know, I'm kind of bound to be objective. Um, but at the same time, I'm a, I'm a resident and I'm a human being and I have family members who uh, have businesses and seeing people, you know, worried about losing their jobs. And long story short, I do think we were ready. Uh, I do think we were ready. And if you look at the numbers, um, I, I think that they back up the fact that we were ready. Um, you know, we have the 1,545 people who were hospitalized with COVID ailments, 208 are on ventilators. So those numbers have all dropped drastically in recent weeks. So fewer people hospitalized. you got to remember when, when we say, you know, shutting down and locking down and shelter in place, those things are not to get us down to zero cases. That's not ever what the intention was. Those things were for us to stem the tide and make sure our hospitals, you know, had enough supplies and enough bedding and i think that we've proven that we're going to win that battle so i think that we were ready but at the same time um i'll be the first person to admit i'm no expert i'm no doctor you know i'm just going by the numbers that i see governor john bell edwards has far more data and far more information than what i have um so you got to trust him and you got to you know, hope that he's making the right decisions and abide by those decisions but me personally i, I do think that we were ready the other question 
that we have here. Let's see. Um, do you have to be showing COVID symptoms or have a doctor's order to go to the drive-through testing site in, in Raceland? That's a great question. Um, no, you don't. Uh, you could just show up. You don't have to have insurance. You don't have to have symptoms. You could have never coughed one time in your life. You could have never had a sore throat or shortness of breath in your life. Uh, you could get a test. Now, I would strongly urge you, if you were not showing symptoms, to not go and get a test because the test kits are limited. And you got to be willing to understand, you know, it's, it's your conscience that's on the line here if, if you take a test kit away from somebody who's legitimately sick. So please exercise discretion there and please you know if you're not you know feeling like you need this don't go and take a test from someone else another question that we have is where are the troubled areas in lafouche parish i get this question a ton maybe more than any other question and i answer it the same every time is that it's really not you know a quote-unquote troubled area uh any more any less than anyone else um, but i could tell you that the overwhelming vast majority of cases in lafouche parish are in northern Lafouche and in the Thibodeau area and especially in that little sort of corner area right around the Terrebonne Lafouche line so to speak um, that that area has been sort of the hottest spot that area is where the overwhelming vast majority of the Lafouche parish cases are um, there are some down the by I'm not trying to you know make it seem you know rosier for down the by than up the by but the overwhelming vast majority of Lafouche parish's cases have been in the Thibodeau area and this is based on tracked maps that have been given to us by the uh, Louisiana Department of Health. Um, and I think that uh, we're going to continue to see that same you know, situation play out. I think the, more, the majority of the Lafouche Parish problem has come up the Baya, which is not a big surprise because that's where the overwhelming majority of the population is, is up the Baya. So, you know, that, that's sort of what we've seen. Another question is... Uh, assuming we get into phase one, phase one of the government reopening plan, what happens in phase one? Um, I could tell you what the federal government says will happen, but I can't exactly tell you what's going to happen here specifically in Louisiana because Governor John Bell Edwards has said he's going to make a plan that is specific to the state of Louisiana. Um, I could tell you that in the federal government plan, um, restaurants are able to reopen for dining. Um, but they've got to, you know, there's got to be social distancing between tables and all that good stuff. Um, churches are able to reopen. And again, you've got to have social distancing. Gyms are able to reopen. you got to keep your equipment, you know, sanitary and all that good stuff. Um, but not a whole lot other than that changes. We're still going to be kind of sheltered in place. You're going to be encouraged to work from home. Schools are going to still be closed. And you got to follow that for two weeks. And then what happens is... Um, they're going to track your cases for a total of two weeks. And if you continue to decrease then you move to phase two, which phase two, which if again, if we're all on schedule, if we start on, on May 15th, that would look at an early June going into phase two, which is when you kind of start to open back up and you could start to have more increased interaction. Um, you could hang out in, in groups of 50 instead of groups of 10. Um, you know, more places will be opened up. That's when your retail stores will be able to start to open up slowly. They'll have to limit the number of people that will be inside of them, obviously. Um, but that's when you could start to have more people going to more places. And then, you know, another 14 days of that, that'd be looking at mid-June. And again, this is all based on if nothing sets back. Mid-June, you'd really start to ramp things up. And that's when you could really start to, to look to, to get things rolling again. 
Another question coming my way. Do you think there are going to be interruptions in fall sports? Um, oh, my God, I hope not. Um, but to answer your question, um, I don't think so. Um, now, how they look may be different than how they've looked in the past. Um, I think that there's going to be limitations on the number of people who are maybe allowed at games. I think that, you know, maybe... Um, some elderly and high-risk folks are going to maybe be strongly encouraged not to attend. Um, but I, I do think that we're going to play. I, I think that we're going to be able to get the games in. The kids are going to be able to play. Um, now, if you ask me that same question for summer, I don't know. Um, again, I'm hopeful. Um, but, you know, can I tell you that every single travel baseball tournament that you're, you've got booked um, is going to happen? I don't know. Can I tell you that every single seven-on-seven seven football league game that you were planning on attending is going to happen? I don't know. Um, but I'm hopeful that we're going to get something done over the summer and we're going to accomplish something over the summer. Um, because quite frankly, to have a fall, we need to have some sort of summer because football is different um, than any other game. Um, you can't just show up one day and then the next day be beating on somebody else and preparing to play a game. It doesn't work that way. You need to have that conditioning. You need to have all that work in and you got to make sure that your body's ready. And if, if we don't have a summer, if we, if you know, we get to, let's say August the 1st, and I'm just throwing that date out there, but if we get to, let's say August the 1st, and that's when we're finally starting to open all the way back up, we're not going to start football season in, in August the 30th. That's just not realistic. The kids are going to be out of shape. The kids aren't going to be used to the heat. The kids aren't going to be ready to for all that contact. We're going to have to push back to start to the season. Um, so I think that for there to be an uninterrupted fall, we've got to have some sort of summer. And I think that we're trending in that right direction. But, man, it's going to be cutting it close. Let's see. Next question that we have here says... Okay, I've already answered that one. Um, already answered that one. Where can I go to get a test in Lafouche Parish? <clears throat> well, we've already talked about the testing site at the uh, the shooting range in Raceland. You can get a free test there uh, Monday through Friday, 8 to 12. <clears throat> but if you want to just go and get a you know test in general, uh, just call up your doctor, man. I mean, most family doctors' offices and the hospital clinics and everything, um, they have them now. Uh, there's not any shortage that I, that I'm hearing anymore. At one time, it was an issue. It's not really much of an issue anymore. Um, you know, everybody's kind of taking care of the people that they feel are in need of it. Um, and you know, I've, I've actually been hearing pretty good news about. Fewer people going to get tested in recent days because there are fewer people that are claiming to be sick. So that, you know, that's obviously a great thing. How much longer are we going to be in quarantine? Um, I could tell you that I, I think that we're going to enter phase one on May the 15th. Um, and from there, that would mean that we would have about another two weeks of kind of sheltering in place, holding still. With some, you know, some limitations, some things will, will, will change. Uh, but from there, I really think that we've got about another month of not doing a whole lot before we get to start moving around a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I want to stress this to everybody is that uh, I, I see a lot of people on social media that are complaining and, oh, man, we're not ready to open up and, you know, we're scared. And like just because they tell us that we're OK to open up, if you don't feel safe with that or if you don't feel like that's okay they're not mandating that you have to leave the house 
If you feel more safe quarantining, if you feel more safe wearing a mask, if you feel more safe not going around other people, then don't. And, and I understand that there are some exceptions. There are some people who have to go to work. There are some people who have to do certain things. But if you're, you know, an elderly person and, and you know, let's say March 15th, we start to open back up and you don't feel safe going, you know, do all the things that you used to do before, going to your garden club meeting and going to play cards with family members and then just don't do it. Um, you know, again, it's, 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 they're making it okay, but they're not saying that you have to. And I think that that's, that's an important point that, that we've got to understand and realize that it's always up to the individual. And if you don't feel safe and you don't feel that it's in your own family's best interest, then just simply don't do it. So that's going to sort of wrap up our COVID-19 update for today. Um, again, we've got uh, 29,140 cases reported in the state of Louisiana. 1,950 people have died uh, in the state of Louisiana in Lafouche Parish. Again, one more time, I'm going to give you the numbers and then we'll move on to another topic. In Lafouche Parish, we have, let's see, pulling up here, 666 cases and 53 deaths. And that is out of more than uh, 3,000 people who have tested uh, the updates come out every uh, day at noon, and usually we have them up line or online rolling before noon. So go to LaFoucheGazette.com if you want to check any of those updates out. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk some sports. Uh, you know i got to get some sports in, and then we're going to have a little bit of fun. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. This will be a great time for me to remind you guys to get the LaFouche Gazette app to keep up with us. All the latest news that you could find on LaFoucheGazette.com. Go to your app store, type in LaFouche Gazette. You could get our new app. It'll be up to date. We'll send you push notifications. We'll let you guys know uh, everything that's going on with these COVID updates, everything that's going on in the world of sports, the world of weather, everything that you want. We'll have it on the LaFouche Gazette app. Get it today. So with that having been said, let's rock and roll. We'll talk about a little bit of world of sports right now. Um, we've got things going on. The NFL draft has, you know, in the books. That is wrapped up. Um, New Orleans Saints had a busy ride in the NFL draft. So how this is going to work, we're going to talk a little bit of NFL draft. We're going to talk about some things going on in the high school ranks, and I'll answer some questions from you guys, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, in the future, we're going to have far more fun in the future. We're going to have phone-in guests. We're going to talk to people. We're going to get you guys involved but quite frankly i wanted to just kind of test out my technology today make sure that i was able to do this before we kind of rocked and rolled you guys will probably hear some birds chirping in the background here i'm literally sitting outside on my front porch uh doing this so the nfl draft as we said has come and passed um the new orleans saints uh made an interesting decision on day two of the draft after picking cesar ruiz in the opening round interior offensive lineman they didn't have a second round pick and then used their third round pick to take a, uh, a linebacker uh, from University of Wisconsin. I'm going to tell you all the details in just a minute. But after that, they then uh, traded the whole rest of their draft. So we thought to get the tight end out of Dayton. Uh, and it was looking like it was going to be just a three-player draft for New Orleans for the longest time. But then they traded back into the seventh round of the draft to pick Tommy Stevens in the seventh round. So it's going to end up being a four-player crop for New Orleans. Cesar Ruiz, center out of Michigan. Zach Bond, linebacker out of Wisconsin. Adam Troutman, tight end out of Dayton. And Tommy Stevens, uh, quarterback out of Mississippi State. Um, you asked me how the Saints did. I think they did okay. Um, people were critical of the Cesar Ruiz pick. I wasn't. Um, I went back and watched that game against the Minnesota Vikings. Um uh, 
Saints lost that game in the playoffs because they couldn't protect Drew Brees. There were too many third downs in that game where, you know, Brees had a guy in his face and it disrupted his timing and he couldn't get off the pass the way he wanted to. And and I understand picking Cesar Ruiz. I get it. Um, and it's easy to say, oh, bro, they should have taken, uh, you know, the linebacker from LSU. Or they should have taken this guy or that guy. Folks, the Saints don't hate LSU. I, I, I promise you. I promise you they don't hate LSU players. Um, but at the same time, that they're not bound by creating a story for you guys. They're not going to pick the hometown hero just to make something warm and fuzzy to talk about. Their job is to try to win the world championship. And they feel that Cesar Ruiz gives them the best opportunity to win the world championship. They're going to move Eric McCoy to guard. They're going to play Cesar Ruiz at center. And they're going to probably cut Larry Warford. That's, that's what's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks. Andrews Peach just got a new big deal. He ain't going anywhere. They're gonna cut Larry Warford, or they're gonna trade him, or whatever they got to do, and they're gonna they're gonna roll the ball out and they're gonna play. And uh, I think that it's comical because every single Sunday I'm on social media and I'm reading all the the commentary and man, Andrews Peach is terrible. We got to get rid of Andrews Peach. And then whenever the Saints draft an offensive lineman to help Andrews Peach out, you guys are still complaining. Trust in the process, trust in Sean Payton, trust in Mickey Loomis. This is going to work itself out. Uh, I think that this was a good pick, and I think that, uh, yeah, you would love to have Patrick Queen. You would love to have some of the other guys that were on the board. But, man, I know one thing about football. you got to block and tackle to win, and the Saints got somebody who's going to help them block. And, you know, in the third round, they got somebody who's going to help them tackle, and Zach Bond. Now, I'm not as sold on Zach Bond as everyone else is. Um, there's a lot of commentary that's you know come out and saying he's going to be a sleeper and he's going to be a steal and all these different things and he had you know a first round grade and he went in the third round. Well, folks, there's a reason why he went in the third round. Um, he failed his urine test at the combine, and I don't know about you, but if I am knowing that uh, I have to you know pee in a cup on a certain date and I still fail that urine test then that's a very moronic thing to do. And I think that the fact that this guy, you know, had a diluted sample at the combine and, and, and didn't pass that test with flying colors, there's some concerns there. Um, you know, yeah, you could, you could you know, have a first-round grade, but you, you went in the third round for a reason, and that's because you made a really stupid decision. Now, is he going to ride the ship and get his act together and, and fix some of those, those issues? He may. And if so, yeah, it's going to pan out. But don't tell me that this is going to be something that has a 100% hit rate and is, you know, most definitely certainly going to work out because we don't know that yet um, because there are some issues there. There was a knee issue at Wisconsin that had to be sorted out. And then you add that to the urine sample, and it's a risk. It's a calculated risk. It may work out. The guy may make a Pro Bowl someday. But I'm not as sold on Zach Bond as I am, you know, some of the other guys. Everybody that I've heard says he's going to be a home run and this, that, and the other. I want to see it first. Adam Troutman, tied in out of Dayton, uh, big kid, 6'5", 255. Drew Brees can complete passes to light post. Um, Adam Troutman, if if he has anything in the tank at all, he's going to succeed in New Orleans. It's a perfect place to to, play football. Um, Big kid, he runs well. He's a good red zone player. He's a decent blocker. He's going to have to work on that. Jared Cook was starting to come into his own last year, but Jared Cook's getting older. He battled injuries, so I mean – Troutman, if he has anything at all in him, he's going to succeed in New Orleans. I mean, it's just one of those things. 
Now, the pick that I didn't agree with is Tommy Stevens, um, and I'll tell you why. And I don't have a problem with picking Tommy Stevens in the seventh round. If you see something in Tommy Stevens, you take him. But reading sort of the backstory about how this all went down, um, you, you traded a six-round pick next year to get Tommy Stevens, okay? Um, first off, I watch a lot of SEC football far more than I'm willing to admit. Tommy Stevens is terrible. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way first and foremost. He's not a very good football player as a traditional quarterback. Now, is there something there that you could mold him into? You know, maybe that Wildcat guy, maybe that Taysom Hill guy. Maybe. Um, but I don't know, man. Um, you traded a sixth-round pick for a guy that is not going to make your team. He's not. He's not going to make your team. Jameis Winston's going to make your team. Taysom Hill's going to make your team. Tommy Stevens will not make your team. So that means he's going to be on your practice squad. And there are all these reports coming out that there were other teams that liked Tommy Stevens. So that means, guess what? Someone else is going to sign him off of your practice squad. I don't know how much longer he's going to be in New Orleans. So it makes it even more comical that you would give up a six-round pick next year to draft this guy. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I didn't think it was a good move then. I don't think it's a good move now. And you read the story about how Sean Payton felt like he was getting over on Joe Brady and this, that, and the other. I'm all for trolling somebody, but I don't like trolling somebody when I have to give up a six-round pick to do it. I think this was a mistake. And um, it's going to be, at the end of the day, look, it's a six-round pick. It's going to be a small mistake. But don't tell me that six-round picks don't matter. You know, Tom Brady was a six-round pick. You know, you could get good players with that. I don't like giving up future collateral for a guy who I don't even think is going to make the team. The rest of the NFL draft, got a shout-out. Amik Robertson, a Thibodeau guy, is going to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Amik is a good football player. Amik is an undersized football player, but he has some – you know, here's the thing. I, I heard a lot of commentary on social media about – um, you know, Meek's gonna make teams pay, and you know, Meek's gonna really go out there, and he's gonna he's gonna uh, shock the world. And there's no one that's rooting for that more than me. But th- again, I don't think this is a situation where every other team in the NFL was just kind of, you know, poo pooing on the guy because he's five nine, one eighty seven. He has a bad hip. He had to get hip surgery, missed the bowl game, and it's one thing to be undersized. It's another thing to be undersized and have injury problems. Um, so we're going to see how it goes. Competitiveness, competitive drive, you know, man-to-man coverage, uh, desire to succeed, desire to win, A+. plus. There's no one in the draft that has anything, you know, more than Amik Robertson in any of those respects. Um, but there are some concerns there, and that's why he was a middle-round guy. But I think that it's at the end of the day, when you look at this, um, if he could stay healthy, that's a big if, if he could stay healthy, He's going to stay focused. He's going to stay motivated. And I think Las Vegas maybe got a potential player there that could uh, really help them in their future. Some of the other you know things that I want to brag about, I got to brag about my LSU guys. 20 guys total, not drafted, but 20 guys total going off to the NFL. And what in the hell are the other 32 teams, or all 32 teams in the NFL thinking not drafting Thaddeus Moss? That drove me off the wall. I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. Uh, Steven Sullivan got drafted. The LSU long snapper got drafted. How could you not pick Thaddeus Moss? He played some of his best football in some of the most meaningful games down the stretch. He had a great game against Alabama. Played well in the semifinals and the finals. He's a good, willing blocker. I don't know what happened there. There may have been you know something that happened at the combine. I don't know what it may be. 
Um, but that's those are the two things I want to touch on. I'm very proud of my LSU guys, but I don't know what happened with Thaddeus Moss. Um, there ain't no reason he shouldn't have been one of the players picked in the draft. He's plenty good enough. He's plenty talented enough. And the next touching point that I would like to bring up along those lines is, man, we've got to set up a system where these kids who go out early and don't get picked where they want to get picked could go back to school. Like, there ain't no reason in the world that Thaddeus Moss, who declares and then doesn't get drafted, can't go back to school. And I know you can say, oh, man, well, that's the way that it's always been done. Well, in college, you don't tell me that you can't do it because in college baseball, you do it. You could get you could be the first overall pick and, and go back to school in college baseball. Now, I wouldn't be in favor of anything like that in the NFL because it becomes too political. Um, the, the Cincinnati Bengals would never have a first-round pick that would sign. Um, I think that what you would like to see ideally is let's cut it off at, let's say, the fifth round. Everybody who's picked in the first five rounds, you have to sign, you have to go play, you lose your eligibility. But let's make the sixth and seventh rounds, you know, kind of optional. You could go and you, if you if you sign, sign, that's great, and go play pro. If you don't want to, you go back to school. And I'm and I'm even willing to say, okay, well, let's make the draft nine rounds instead of seven to, you know, understand that you may not get all of your late round picks in your program and you know with your professional team I, I think that that's a better way a more common sense way to do this and I think that that'd be something that that everybody would be looking forward to in the future I would love to talk more sports with you guys I would love to have some call-in guests and we're going to do all those things in the future there just ain't a whole lot going on right now I you know I'm seeing some reports the NBA season's kind of hit or miss they're trying to figure out how they're going to do it the NFL's trying to figure out when to start uh, releasing their schedule. Uh, I could talk to you about The Last Dance. I, I love it. I think it's great. I could talk to you about LeBron James releasing the new Space Jam logo. I could tell you about how much I think that's going to suck. Um, but it's typical LeBron James, right? It's going to be okay, but it's going to be not quite as good as Michael Jordan. It was just the story of his career. But again, I could do an entire show on that. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take some sports-related questions from you guys. And we're going to try to have some fun over the next couple of minutes, and then we'll wrap up. So the first question comes from Eric, who says, how do you feel the Saints did in their NFL draft? Uh, I just talked about that a little bit a minute ago. I think they did okay. I give them a B plus, uh, a B, something like that. I think Cesar Ruiz is not a sexy pick, but I think that he's going to fulfill his role, which is going to be an interior lineman who's going to make things happen. Um I think that the linebacker Bond is gonna gonna be a good player if he can keep his head on straight. Uh, I like the tight end. I think that, as I said, I think Drew Brees can complete a pass to a cardboard box if if the tight end Troutman has anything in him, he's gonna make it work. Tommy Stevens won't make the team. I think that was a wasted pick, but you know that's the seventh round. They're no big deal. I give him a B. Um, next question we have from Steven. Do you think the Bulls would win the NBA championship in today's NBA? Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> um, here's the thing: the the one weakness that the Bulls had was their interior play and their play inside the paint. And they started Luke Longley and Bill Wennington for God's sake. Their centers were terrible. Um, that hurt you then a little bit in the '90s and the '80s. Doesn't hurt you today, baby. Teams in the NBA don't play centers anymore. So what the Bulls would do now is they would move Dennis Rodman to the five. They would start Tony Tony Kukoc at the four, 
And then now you're looking at a lineup of Ron Harper at the one, Jordan at the two, Scottie Pippen at the three, Kukoc at the four, Rodman at the five. Four of those five guys, with the exception being Tony Kukoc, four of those five guys could defend all five positions in the pick and roll, and they would smother the hell out of you on defense. You would never get a clean shot up. And I know teams would isolate and attack Tony Kukoc as best as they could, but you got too many good interior defenders and you know perimeter defenders and there's no way that the NBA teams today would be able to handle that pressure. And I know, you know, everybody's going to look back and say, well, well, they don't make enough three-pointers and, and you know, the, the game has changed. Let me tell you something about Michael Jeffrey Jordan. If Michael Jeffrey Jordan needed to make three-pointers to succeed, like what I'm saying is if he played in the NBA today, he would have shot a million of them boogers a day until he became a prolific three-point shooter. Don't go and think that if the Bulls were – a team in the current you know uh, period of the NBA that Michael Jordan wouldn't be a prolific 38 to 40 percent three-point shooter you wouldn't be able to keep him out of the lane you wouldn't be able to keep him out from behind the three-point line he would average 40 a game literally 40 a game and I say this because I'm the biggest James Harden fan in the world he's averaging 35 36 a game he ain't no Michael Jordan Michael Jordan would average 40 points a game today. You would not be able to stop him. And on the other end of the court, you wouldn't be able to get a shot up against him. The Bulls today would absolutely dominate the NBA. Question three, how's my golf game? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I've actually been playing a lot of golf. Um, but, I mean, I don't have a very big front yard or backyard, so I've been hitting with the wedges a lot. My short game is good. Uh, from about 35 yards on in, I'm money. Um, now when I start making full swings, all bets are off. Um, but my short game is good. Everything else is, is poo. Um, but that's kind of how it's been my entire life. Will there be a finish to the NBA season? This one comes from Jack. Um, Jack, I, I think so. I, you know, I think it's going to throw everything out of whack. Um, I don't think we're going to be doing this until the middle of the summer. We're going to be finishing in, you know, late summer. Now, that means the draft is going to be happening in late summer. That means free agency is going to be happening in late summer. And I think ultimately that means we're not going to be starting the following season until the winter. You know, the, the entire calendar is going to be thrown off is what I'm getting at. Um, but looking at global conditions, um, looking at the, the rate at which we're able to get tests now compared to before, I don't think there's any way that we're not going to finish the NBA season. Now, does that mean we have to quarantine teams in Las Vegas? Does that mean we have to quarantine teams in cities or areas? I don't know how it's going to look, but there is no way that we're not playing and finishing this NBA season. There's too much money to be made. Um, I think that we're going to get this in. I just don't know exactly when. This comes from Fred. Fred wants to know, are you watching much wrestling during the pandemic? Oh, man, unfortunately, I am. Um, and I say unfortunately because the current product is not very good. <laughs> Um, I watched WrestleMania. I thought WrestleMania was pretty good. Um, I'm not into a whole lot else of what's going on. Um, I've been watching just a ton of of uh, you know stuff from my childhood, from the '90s, and uh, the WWE Network. You could watch all that stuff now. I found a YouTube channel that has all the old matches. Uh, Man, I've been watching so much wrestling from the 90s. It's just a disgusting amount of wrestling from the 90s and even the 80s. But watching much wrestling currently, I watch Raw and SmackDown here and there a little bit. Um, kind of fast forward through the stuff I don't like, which is almost all of it. 
Um, but I've been watching a ton of wrestling from the past. And one thing I'd like to recommend to you guys is go and watch Dark Side of the Ring. It plays on Vice. I don't have Vice on my, my cable outlet, so I admittedly I bootleg these episodes on YouTube. Um, so if you Google Dark Side of the Ring on YouTube, you could go back and watch every single one of the episodes. They're all archived and different you know users have bootlegged them and put them up there. Man, there's so many great stories. Um, that business is a mess. There's so much crazy stuff that's happened in the past and it's continuing to happen now. And they archive all that stuff out there. That's an incredible show. If you're a fan, I would give it, you know, two thumbs up, five stars, ten out of ten. You know, you can't get any better than that. Number six, uh, this one comes from Jan. Janet is asking, who is the best athlete you have ever covered? Oh, man, you're going to get me in a bunch of trouble here. Um, Oh, my God. The best athlete I've ever covered. I've been doing this since 2007. I started in Baton Rouge. 2009, I started locally in the home of Thibodeau area. Oh, man. Um, If we're talking the best pure athlete from an athleticism standpoint... It would probably have to be Rusty Bourne of South Lafouche. He was a terrific football player. He was a state champion in track, long jump, triple jump, beat Teron Matthew at the state championship meet for track. The best, you know, he was a prolific jumper, um, not a bad basketball player. If it, I'm looking at just a pure athlete, it would have probably had to be Rusty. But if I'm looking at the most dominant athlete in their respective sport, oh, let's see. Um, Sierra Lyons at Terrebonne was the best shot putter I've ever seen. Uh, Abby Lazard, now Abby Marcel, she was the most prolific long jumper and triple jumper I've ever seen at, on the girls' levels. Um, boy sports. Um Man, I could do an entire show listing some of these. Uh, Greg Robinson was so good. He was he was so dominant in his own way. Um, A.J. Rainey was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, every night, 40, 50 points off the bus. Elijah McGuire. You know, Elijah McGuire would be a tough one to go against, too, because his senior year at Vanderbilt, I mean, he would, he would get the ball literally every single play. They would snap it to him because they didn't trust anyone else to touch the ball. Yeah, they would snap it to him, and, and he would run left, run right, run middle. He would he would find ways to make it happen. Um, so if you put a gun to my head and, and said, hey, you got to pick one pure athlete, it would be Rusty Bourne. But the most dominant athlete, I think, would have to be Elijah McGuire because he had the entire weight of that football program on his shoulders, and he carried it with, in stride. He was absolutely unbelievable. But there are so many close seconds and thirds and fourths and, and people that I could mention that, that were just terrific. I mean, heck, I didn't even mention Cassidy Barrios, who ended up leaving Vanderbilt and becoming the best Nickel State women's basketball player in the history of the program. So, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm leaving people out here left and right. Number seven, what is the best game you have ever covered? Um, Man, best game I've ever covered. Um best game I've ever called would be the Washington Marion Ellender State Championship game in Class 4A State Championship. I called that one with my buddy Coach Brian Colley in Lake Charles. But the best pure game 
Oh, wait, let me talk a little bit about that Washington Marion and Ellinger game first. Um, it's packed. It's sold out. Half of Homa is there. All of Lake Charles is there because Washington Marion's in that area. Devontae Martin's going crazy. The Washington Marion team is, you know, they're playing their lights out. And Marquis Mosley makes a three pointer inside of a minute to put Ellender on top. Washington Marion answers with a three pointer to go back in front. Um, that would, there was just so much drama. And I remember at one point, like physically, just the emotion of it, looking over at coach, and, and we were just both awestruck at what we were seeing. That was an unbelievable high school basketball experience. That was a game that I'll be nine years old laying in bed, and I'm going to remember being there that day, calling that game. That was an unbelievable environment for high school athletics. I don't know that we're ever going to see anything like that again in my career. But the best game that I've covered, not calling as you know a broadcaster, <sighs> um, man, there's one. There's one. Yeah, there's one that stands out. Um, went to the semifinals, Class 3A semifinal football game, Patterson High School. Um, their coach by the time by Tommy Minton. Kenny Hilliard was the big stud running back at the time, 3-4 star running back, ended up going to LSU. Kenny was the leading rusher in the history of the state of Louisiana and I think was even the leading rusher in the history of high school football around the country before he left Patterson. Um, and uh, I don't remember the opponent. Shame on me, I don't remember the opponent. Um, in fact, I'm going to play with my, my browser here and try to pull it up for you while I tell the story. But we were, uh, I, you know, back at the time I was working for the then Tri-Parish Times, and we covered Lafouche Terrebonne and St. Mary, and we hated all reporters hated making that trip and going cover St. Mary. Nothing against them. It was just, it was so far out of the way and it was a long trip and, you know, it was just an annoyance. It was out of the way. Um, so I, I remember I recruited my dad. I said, Dad, you know, you want to make the trip to St. Mary? Do you want to go watch Kenny Hilliard play? And um, he did. He, you know, we, we made the trip together and uh, we went out there to watch Patterson and it was looking like it was going to be a wasted trip for a while because Patterson was getting it taken to them. Uh, they were not playing well. They were getting beat at home. This team was running like a triple option. They were controlling the ball, controlling the clock, controlling the, you know, the, the time of possession, and things weren't going so well for the Lumberjacks on this night. Um, but I remember vividly um, Kenny, you know, he, he looked to Tommy Minton. They were down a score with a couple of minutes left in the game and, and and Kenny looked at coach Tommy Minton the other team had the ball and he said coach put me in put me in you know this was on defense now the other team had the ball and he said I'll get us the ball back and Tommy Minton kind of looks at him like he's crazy yeah Kenny yeah you, you know go sit down <laughs> and this this was against West Feliciana and I just pulled it up this was in 2010 and West Feliciana gets a first down they're up 21 to 14. They get a first down with like two minutes left, and the game is the game is now over. I mean, it, it's over. Patterson's going to lose. West Feliciana's going to go to the state championship game. On that next play, Kenny plays going to linebacker. West Feliciana could have just took a knee. The game would have been over. But instead, they run a play, and on that play, Kenny Hilliard breaks through the line of scrimmage and just decleats and takes the helmet off of the quarterback. The ball comes out. Patterson recovers the fumble. Okay, so everybody's going nuts. If you, if you've ever been to a football game at Patterson, 
They're wild fans. Some of them are in the stadium. Most of them are not in the stadium. Most of them are outside of the stadium, circling the stadium, doing what they do. The entire city of Patterson is going nuts at this point, okay? But there's a problem. Um, your offense hasn't moved the ball an inch all night long, and you've still got to go like 70 yards to get down and score the touchdown. And, oh, yeah, you've only got like 90 seconds to do it. Um, so Patterson had a quarterback at the time by the name of Justice Jones. And Justice Jones lines up in the shotgun. And on the first play, whenever they had the ball back, he uh, he drops back to pass, has a little bit of protection for the first time in the night. But as West Feliciana was on him like white on rice throughout the game. And he chucks on as far as he can. And all I remember is I was, I was on the, the side of the field where the ball was snapped. All I remember was looking down the field and seeing, oh, my God, the receiver has a step. He hit him in stride. They get down the field, and they eventually punch it in right as time is expiring. Okay, so it's 21 to 20. Um, Coach Tommy Minton says, um, okay, we're going we're gonna to go for one. We're going to play overtime. Good decision. I mean, you got Kenny Hilliard on your, on your side. You're playing red zone offense. It's going to be hard to stop him. Um, now they're lining up for the extra point, West Feliciana jumps off sides okay and there's like four seconds left on the clock so i mean like the game is literally it's 21 to 20 the game is hanging in the balance if patterson makes this extra point we go to overtime they miss this extra point the game is over well west feliciana jumps off sides and at that point kenny hillier who's standing right next to tommy minton at the time says coach give me the bleeping ball let's go to the dome and coach tommy minton looks at him Gets fired up. You can see me starting to shake. His, you know, his arms, just pumping his arms, pumping his fists. He turns and he screams to his offense, "Get on the field! Let's go to bleeping New Orleans, baby!" They handed the ball, so the ball's now at, the, at about the one and a half yard line. It was at the three before. They do an inside toss to Kenny, and there's no blocking there. Like, there's no blocking. The the offensive line gets beat by the defensive line. This play's not gonna work. West Feliciana's going to, you know, goal line stand. They're going to stop him. This game is over. Kenny gets hit at the four-yard line by the first defender, gets hit at about the three-yard line by the second defender, and at about the two, he's met by just about the entire pile. And then it's, you know, just kind of a battle of the Titans. Is the pile going to go into the end zone, or is the pile going to go closer to the five-yard line, and is it going to fall, and who's going to win this game? That sucker drove the entire defense into the end zone, Got the two-point conversion. Patterson won the game 22-21, to went to the Superdome. I have never seen an individual effort greater than I saw on that play there from Kenny Hilliard. At that point, I remember on the ride home, you know, talking to my dad. We were both saying, man, that kid is unbelievable. Sure enough, he went on to LSU, had a great career, played in the NFL for a time. But that one play, that was the greatest single individual effort that I have ever seen. Because with an entire city's weight on his back, that kid was hit at the four-yard line by one guy, hit at the three-yard line by another guy, and then drug an entire defense into the end zone all the way to the state championship game. Now, they didn't win the state championship. They lost to Parkview Baptist 24-20. But, oh, my God, that kid was unbelievable that night. And I remember speaking to him after the game. He was so humble. And, but he was also exhausted. <laughs> he didn't have anything left in his body. He left it all out on the tank. So, the drama of that game, oh, I'm never going to forget that. That was that was something else. That was something to be a part of. 
one more question and then we're going to sign off here let's see we're going to take it from justin justin's going to ask how do you think the lsu football team is going to do next year uh, actually i have two more questions i'm going to take justin's question i'm going to take another one um justin i think lsu is going to be really good um you lose 20 players to the nfl and it's very easy to say well man this team's going to be trash you know they, they're not going to have anything left to replace those guys um but tell me the weakness. I mean, it, it, tell me the weakness. Uh, they still got running backs. They've still got receivers. You got Jamar Chase and Terrence Marshall. They've got the number one tight end of all time coming in, and Eric Gilbert. Um, and I mean that literally. He is the highest graded tight end in the history of recruiting. Um, coming in, he's going to be an instant impact player. There are some questions at the offensive line, but. You got Ed Ingram back, and you know you got some other guys there. Um, Deckless is back. You know you got some guys who are going to make an impact. Defensive line, you got players that are coming back. In the second, excuse me, in the secondary, you're still loaded. If there's one area where I think there are some concerns, and maybe be at the linebacker position, but man, you just brought in that kid from North Dakota State who was going to be a first round pick. Like that's one thing that people don't realize about this kid. And you know it's easy to look and say, oh. Who's he played? You know, this kid's, you know, he's soft. He hasn't faced any competition. He was going to go pro. You know, he was going to be a, a first, second-day pick, according to everybody. That's not just me saying that. You know, Mike Dettelier is saying the same thing. This guy that he's going to be able to play. He's going to be able to make a big impact on that defense next year. And you still got some guys coming back. I think Ja'Cory Stevens is going to be good in sort of that hybrid role. Um, I think, you know, Todd Harris is going to be a great safety. You, you know, you got you still got um, – uh, the, the great defensive backs, you know, you, I'm forgetting the um, Derek Stingley. I was forgetting his name. He's going to be back. He's going to be able to take one receiver, you know, whatever receiver you want to take out of the game. He'll be able to do that. Um, so I think that that LSU is going to be fine. Um, the schedule stacks up okay. Uh, you, you know, you got to play tough games, but I mean, it's the SEC. You know, like when do you not have? You know, when when is everybody in the SEC not good and? You know, you have just an easy ride all the way through. That that never happens. So it's going to be a tough ride, but, you know, I think that they'll be able to get through it. Last question. Uh, this is from everybody. I ain't going to put one name to this. But man, I get access from everybody. Um, how do you think Coach B.J. Young is going to do at South LaFouche? I'm recording this literally about two and a half hours um, after talking to B.J. Young. Had him on as a radio guest this morning. Um, he's excited. He's ready to go. Um, but one thing that I think people have to take into perspective is that this slowdown and this downturn and all the things that are going on in the world hurts them more than it hurts anyone else. And I know that it's going to sound like, oh, man, that's an excuse. You're taking up for your down to buy guys. Um, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm really not. But just look at the facts here. They have a first-year coach, as do a lot of other teams, but they have a first-year coach. But they are um, changing from a triple option offense to a spread offense, which in and of itself takes a bunch of time to do. So every day that you lose, you lose kind of time to, to make that work. That hurts. Second thing is they're going to have 60, 70 guys on the team next year, but they only had 35, 40 guys last year. So most of the guys who will be playing didn't play last year. So they, they also needed a little bit of extra time to get it rolling. So... Um, I don't know how pretty year one's going to look, to be honest with you. Um, but I do think his energy and his enthusiasm and his love for offensive football, 
he's going to do a good job. Um, it's going to be a matter of um, can he get it rolling and can he, you know, can he can he keep the kids happy? And and you know you hate to say it that way, but today, boy, you better keep the kids happy or you're going to lose them, especially in football. You know those kids don't like doing summer workouts and they like you know doing other things over the summer. And I think the last coaching staff there learned that the hard way. Um, but I think he's going to get some attention. He's going to appease the kids and get them excited again. And I think that they're going to they're going to have a great year. Uh, and, and even if they don't have you know a tremendous win loss season next year, I think they're going to lay a wonderful foundation to have a tremendous win loss season the following year. Um, but it's all going to be a matter of how quickly they could put things in and how quickly they could, you know, buy themselves some time and learn the things that they need to learn. So that's going to do it. I'll be honest, I plan to do this for about 30 minutes, and we're pushing an hour. Um, what can I say? I'm long-winded. I like to talk. Uh, but it gives me a release and a reprieve as well. So we're going to be back in, in a couple of days. We're going to do this throughout the pandemic. I'm going to update you on COVID numbers. I'm going to update you on things going on in the world of sports. And as I said, it's not going to all just be me talking. Um, in the future, we're going to have guests on. I'm going to look to maybe even call up Tommy Minton, and he can retell the stories of that Patterson game that I was telling you a minute ago. I'm going to look to maybe have on some current coaches, but maybe even some former coaches, maybe even some former players, and look forward to telling some stories of some of the great things that have happened in years past around the area. So it's uh, the Casey's Corner Podcast. I'm going to sign off right here. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Stay safe, socially distanced, do all those great things. God bless you all. Let's uh, let's keep doing this thing. We're making progress, and we're going to lick this thing. Keep it on thefoodgazette.com over the next couple of days. We're going to keep breaking the news. We're going to keep doing it in a respectful way and, and, and keeping you guys informed. So have a great day, everybody. We'll be back soon.